You'd make a splendid computer, Mr. Spock. That is very kind of you, Captain. You have new mail. He's got more gadgets on him than a Swiss Army knife. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. This week we're talking about technology, electronics, gizmos, all the fun stuff of life. Okay, it's not always fun. You have to work with it. You have to use computers all of the time now, so it's not as fun as it used to be. Technology has always been an interesting thing to me. It's always fascinated me. I've always liked the gizmos, everything from the first transistor radio that I ever had. Yeah, we'll talk about what those are because I'm sure a lot of you have no idea what a transistor radio is. But transistor radios, pocket calculators, little handheld games, this has all been technological toys that I've had all of my life. And now all of that is contained in my little smartphone. That little smartphone that we have is millions of times more powerful than the computers that monitored and landed the lunar module on the moon. That is a fact, and you can look it up. If you want a little information about how far computers have come, Google the phrase Apollo Guidance Computer. That's the first computer that they used to get the lunar module to the moon. Check that out. See how powerful or not powerful a computer that was. But I'm going to save that for the end. We're going to talk about the computers a little later in the episode. We're going to start off with the beginning of technology as it affected me. No, we're not talking stone knives and smoke signals. I'm not quite that old. Close, but not quite. The big technology for me was the transistor radio. Now, for those who don't know, back in the early part of the 20th century, they obviously had radios. They were those big radios that you see on the movie A Christmas Story when they're listening to Little Orphan Annie on the radio, that big console radio that was powered by vacuum tubes. And vacuum tubes were very large, and they filled these cabinets with these vacuum tubes to generate what was necessary to pick up the signal so that they could hear radio at home. And it required a lot of tubes and a lot of power to make the old radios work. So it was a huge piece of furniture to have a console radio in your house. And just to be clear, those were before my time. We did not have console radios in Gamer Dude Manor when I was growing up. <laughs> we had transistor radios. Transistors were invented to replace tubes, and they made radios smaller and actually more portable. So you could actually develop a radio that you could put in your pocket. What a concept that was. So those were the kind of radios that were the equivalent of essentially an iPod. Now, I know iPods are passe now because everybody listens to their music on their phones now. And think about that. The iPod back in the 1990s and the early 2000s was the thing. It was the music device because it was small and you could put all your songs on it. Now people don't even use iPods anymore. They just use their cell phone. But see how quickly technology develops in 20-some years the iPod went from innovation to obsolescence. Nobody uses them anymore. I know I'm overstating it. People still use them, but they're far from the popular thing that they used to be. So imagine that transition and then go back 20 years before that. You had transistor radios that you could put in your pocket and you'd listen to the radio wherever you wanted. Now, the radio, of course, you couldn't program. You would listen to whatever radio stations were playing. 
Back when I was growing up, if you wanted music, you could find a Top 40 station, for instance. And Top 40 meant the Top 40 songs according to the Billboard charts. And so they would rotate those Top 40 songs on their playlist all day long, and that would be on AM radio and also some on FM radio. And that was one of the differences, AM radio versus FM radio. I'm not going to go into a breakdown of the difference between frequency modulation and amplitude modulation. Just suffice it to say they're two different ways of broadcasting. One has greater range, one has greater fidelity. You get a lot of static with AM, you get shorter range with FM. That's what we grew up with. Those were the two choices we had. Most AM stations when I was growing up played top 40 radio. WABC in New York was a top 40 radio station for the longest time, and all they played were the top 40 hits. So if you wanted to hear the hit songs, you listened to 77 WABC. If I wanted to listen to Gene Shepard at night, I would turn into 710 on the AM dial, WOR out of New York. And the innovation of transistor radios was that I could sneak that radio into bed with me. I didn't have to have a big console radio. I didn't have to have my little alarm clock radio going to listen to Gene Shepard in bed when I was trying to go to sleep. I could sneak my little transistor radio into bed with me, have a little earphone in it, and I could quietly listen to Gene Shepard on my transistor radio as I was supposed to be going to sleep. So AM radio was the thing. Now, much like today, if you have your cell phone with you and you want to watch a sporting event and you're trying to find, oh, where can I stream the football game today? When I was a kid, what you were looking for was what radio station can I pick up on this transistor radio so I can hear the baseball game? We, of course, had the local radio stations. The Yankees had their own radio station and the Mets had their own radio station. So if you wanted to catch the Yankee games or the Met games, you could always find them on the radio and listen to them at home, at work, on the road, wherever you were, as long as you had your transistor radio. You couldn't see it, of course. There was no video. All it was was the radio broadcast of the game that you were not able to see, but at least able to listen to. And then one of the cool things about AM radio, for us it was a cool thing because we didn't know any better, but one of the cool things was, at night, when the businesses shut down, when a lot of the interference that would interrupt an AM signal was off because business was closed for the day, you could pick up radio stations, AM radio stations. FM is distance limited, but AM could literally go for miles. So living in New Jersey, I could pick up radio stations from Boston and from Cincinnati and from Chicago and from other exotic places in the country that I had no idea what they were like, but I could listen to their sports broadcasts on the radio, but only at night. So every once in a while, I could pick up a Cincinnati Reds game or a Boston Red Sox game. Not that I liked the Red Sox, but I could pick up the game and root for whoever was playing Boston. You just had to find them on the dial. And one of the things that you had on the AM radio was a little dial. The numbers weren't big. The dial wasn't big, but you could roll it with your thumb, just a little notched dial. And you'd go slowly and you'd hear the static. It would be... And then you'd hear that little voice, I'm coming to you from Boston. And that's where you'd stop as you're rolling the dial. And you'd give a listen for a couple of seconds, see if it was something that you were interested in. And if it was, you'd tune in and you'd listen to the game. And if it wasn't, you'd cruise up the dial again until you found something cool to listen to. So yeah, the transistor radio was the precursor to any portable listening device you've ever heard of. And guys would sneak transistor radios into work during the World Series. Now, this is back in the day when, number one, baseball was the most popular sport in the land. And number two, they would broadcast playoff games and World Series games during the afternoons. And I remember sneaking radios into school to hear the World Series because I was a huge baseball fan at the time. 
When I was younger, baseball was my number one sport. I loved watching it. I loved playing it. I loved listening to it. I loved baseball. So we would sneak that transistor radio into school to listen to the game. And the teachers kind of let you get away with it because the teachers were baseball fans too. Now, when I was a kid, the thing that we were most interested in was music. The other way we got our music was by buying records. Long before you would download music, long before you would buy a CD, you would go to the record store and they actually had record stores that all they sold was records. You call it vinyl now. They sold vinyl. We called them records or LPs. LP, for those who don't know, stands for long playing record. And here's where that comes from. Back in the early days of recordings, they had short little records that you would play on a turntable at 78 revolutions per minute, 78 RPM. Now, these were not made out of vinyl. You know what? I'm not even sure what they were made out of. I just know that they were very fragile. My dad had some that we were not allowed to touch because they were so fragile. But he had some classic 78s, they're called. 78s because that's the speed that the turntable would spin. And if you've ever seen a turntable, you know that vinyl records now spin at 33 and a third revolutions per minute. That's the speed that the thing spins around as you listen to the music. You've heard the term 45s. 45s are very small records with that big hole in the middle. You need an adapter to put it on your turntable. Remember those little adapters, by the way, the little springy things you'd fit into your 45 so they'd fit on the turntable? But before the 45s and before the 33 and a thirds, there was the 78s. And yes, the 78s spun at 78 revolutions per minute. So when you put that record on the turntable, that thing would whip around. That's more than twice as fast as a 33 and a third. And the fun part about that was if you had your own little turntable, it would have the three settings, 33 and a third, 45, and 78. So if you wanted to play with the music, you could put on your 33 and a third record, spin it at 78, and get the chipmunks singing every song that there was. If you've never known the joy of putting on The Beatles at 78 revolutions per minute, you just don't know fun. She wants you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't take much to entertain us. Just play records at more than twice their normal speed. That was what, that was what the fun was back then. But if we wanted music, we had to go out to the record store and go buy our LPs, our vinyl records, that would usually run, depending on the record, between 7 and $15 per album or double album, depending on the artist and depending on when we're talking about. And just like you accumulate songs on your iPod or songs on your phone or CDs in your collection, we accumulated LPs. I have two shelves of LPs down in my basement to this day because there's some classic stuff in there that I can't get rid of. Even though I have the songs either on CD or saved Somewhere on either my phone or an old iPod, I still keep the vinyl. And there was something satisfying about going to the record store and thumbing through the albums and seeing, okay, which one am I going to get this week? All right, there's two new albums that I don't have. I could get either the new Boston album or I could get that old Bachman Turner Overdrive album. And I have $7. How am I going to decide? And you couldn't just buy, of course the song that you liked off of the album. Yes, if it was the hit single that they released as a 45, you could just go buy the 45, and then you didn't have to have a whole $9 album. You could have the $1.45 with the one song that you like and some really bad release on the flip side of the 45. But if there was another cut on the album that you wanted and wasn't released as a 45, you had to go buy the whole damn album. 
So what you hoped and prayed for was that the artists that you liked when they made an album made a really good album with really good songs on it. That way you don't get sick of half of the cuts as you're playing through the album. Oh, not this one. But usually artists put out really good albums. That's something that's lost nowadays. Because back in the day, you could do a concept album. Like the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper is a concept album. And all of the songs tie together and have a theme. And a lot of artists did that. And even if it wasn't a concept album, you would find some really great songs on an album that they would put out. Michael Jackson's Thriller is nothing but good songs. Everything on that album is a good song. If you like Michael Jackson and that style of music. I'm not saying you have to like Michael Jackson. I'm just saying that's a great album. But for every artist who put out an album with nothing but good songs, they put out some really bad albums too. It's like three cuts on there you wanted to listen to and the rest of the time, eh, skip it, skip it, skip it. But if you're playing an album, you didn't have a skip button. You either had to get up and physically move the needle off the album and put it on the next cut that you wanted to hear, or you had to suffer through the song. Nowadays, if there's a song on your iPod or your phone that you don't want to hear, you just skip it. The problem, of course, with records is that you can't bring them in the car with you or out running with you. So if you wanted music in the car or on the road and you didn't want to listen to a transistor radio, you wanted your music, you had to bring it with you in a different format. There were two early recording formats that they had. Now, there were multiple ways developed to record music. You had old reel-to-reel tapes, which obviously are not portable. If you've ever seen a movie from the 60s or the 70s and they show those studios with the giant reels of tape, those are the reels that I'm talking about. Some music mavens liked the reel-to-reel, and there were some massive stereo systems designed in the 60s and 70s based upon, or based around, I should say, the reel-to-reel tape player. Those were ridiculously expensive. It's something that I never owned. I used them in the radio studios, but I never owned one because they were A, huge, and B, ridiculously expensive. But they developed the way to record tapes with cassettes. And you've seen cassette tapes. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, they're about the size of a cigarette pack, and each side of the cassette could hold essentially the side of an album. Now, there were ways you could hook your cassette recorder up to an LP or a stereo so that you could record your albums direct to tape. Or, of course, the industry would pre-record your cassettes. And then you could buy a pre-recorded cassette of the same album that you could buy as a vinyl LP. Of course, the same problem existed with cassettes. You can't skip. I mean, you can fast forward, but there's no way to determine that you're skipping the song that you want to skip. But... At least your music was portable, and that's how they developed the Walkman. Sony developed the Walkman, and of course there were a lot of spin-offs of that, but the original Walkman was designed so you could take your cassettes with you, go running, go hunting, go out and about, and have your music, the album or albums that you wanted to listen to, would come with you wherever you were going. And this, of course, is where the mixtape idea came from, because when you could record your own music, you would... Put on an LP, record a song, put it on your tape, stop the recording, put on another album, put a new song on from a new album, record that song, stop the tape, put on another album, and go through that process. But that's how you had to make a mixtape. You would have to get all of your albums lined up, or all of your 45s, or whatever mix you were using, and then stop the recording while you switched songs, then go back and do it again for every song. 
And if you have 16 songs per side, you've got 32 cuts that you've got to put together on the mixtape that you're making. Now, you would mix tapes for yourself. You'd have your workout mix. So if you were out running, you would have your high-powered music playing in your ear. Or if you were trying to romance the girl and you put all the love songs together on a tape, you had to take the time to line them all up and put your love songs in the proper sequence, sending the proper message, do all the breaks at the appropriate time. That's how you made a mixtape. And yes, I became a pro at making mixtapes. If I couldn't say it with words, I would say it with music. Hi, I recorded this for you because these songs mean a lot to me. I hope you like them. Looking back, it's like, really? That's what I did? But that's what you did. I really like you, so here's my mixtape that I made for you. (laughs) It's just what you did. (laughs) The other recording format that existed was the 8-track tape. Now, 8-track tapes were pre-recorded tape cassettes, but they weren't cassettes like in a little reel-to-reel recorder. They weren't really cassettes as much as they were cartridges. What's the difference? Well, the cassette was the size of a cigarette pack. The 8-track tape cartridge was the size of two cigarette packs lying side by side. And then you would push that into the 8-track tape player, and it would lock into place and start playing music And I'm not going to go into the technology of it because I don't know the technology of it. I just know I had one and it worked fine. But like all tape devices, whether it's a cassette tape or an 8-track tape player or a reel-to-reel, the problem with tape is that it's magnetic and it wears out over time. If you find an old tape, 30-year-old tape that hasn't been protected... The sound degrades over time, the tape wears out over time, and if it's not protected in a pristine environment, heat will get to it, cold will get to it, it just wears out. So you don't really have great sound preservation when you're using tape. Vinyl doesn't wear out. Well, eventually, maybe after a million plays, but vinyl lasts, recorded tape does not. And as long as we're talking recorded tape, we can switch over to the VCR. Because the 70s and the 80s is when they introduced the concept of recording TV shows. Now, I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. When I was growing up, you had no way to record a TV show. I was just talking about cassette tape recorders. You could record the sound. And believe me, I did that. I would record the sound so at least I could listen to it. If I really liked an episode of Starsky and Hutch, for instance, I would record that episode and then listen to the tape. Because at least I could relive a part of the show. But then they introduced videotape recorders. And again, videotape has a magnetic base and it does wear out after a while. But at the time that it was introduced, nobody thought about that. Nobody worried about tape wearing out after a while. The concept of recording shows you liked? Oh, it was amazing. And there were two battling formats, VHS and Beta. Sony put out Beta on Betamax, which was a slightly smaller, slightly thinner tape than VHS. I think JVC put out VHS first, if I'm not mistaken. This isn't supposed to be a history lesson. I'm just trying to remember so I can try to give you at least semi-accurate information. But there were the two formats, and the VCR recording machines were huge. Imagine a printer that you use for work, one of those big printers. That's what the original VCRs looked like. They were huge. Whether it was a Betamax or a VHS, they were huge. And the hooking them up to the TV... 
oh, you had to put this wire here and that wire there and input here and input there and then make sure the clock was set up right so that you could time the recording because back in those days, if you wanted to record MASH at 9 o'clock on Monday night, you had to set the VCR to program Channel 2 at 9 o'clock on Monday night. And you had to enter this information on the remote control. And figuring all that out with the way remotes were back in the day, you needed the patience of a saint. Fortunately, as the rule book reader of the family, I always had the patience of a saint so I could always figure it out. But if there was ever a power failure or if there was ever a need to reset the VCR like daylight savings time, that was my job. Now, we didn't have a VCR in our family for many years because when they first came out, they were ridiculously expensive. A thousand bucks was not unheard of for those early VCRs. And I mentioned this in a previous episode. The anniversary present that my brother and sister and I got together to buy for my parents was a VCR. And that one topped out at over $400. Can you imagine that now? These days, you can get a DVD player. You can get a Blu-ray player for less than 100 bucks. Back in those days, a VHS player, and not the greatest one, was more than $400. And that's why we didn't have one for many years, because my dad was not going to buy one. Those are too damn expensive. If you want to watch your show, just watch your show. Why am I going to record it? Until, of course, he had one. And then he wanted to record everything, and he became a great movie renter, because the advent of the VCR resulted in the ability to rent movies from Hollywood, and that's where Blockbuster came from, and Hollywood Video, and all of those video stores you hear about or heard about back in the day, they were all spawned when the VCR was introduced. They didn't spawn right away, and you didn't get the major chains right away. Back in those early days, every mom and pop in town could open up their own video rental store. They might not have the greatest selection, But at least they had a few movies to choose from. And if things were sold out on a Friday night, you could always get an old copy of Porky's. I mentioned Porky's because, believe it or not, that was one of my dad's favorite movies. (laughs) I don't know why. I've watched it. It's not one of my favorite movies, but he loved that movie. And when he watched that movie, it would be on one of those old cathode ray tubes, CRT televisions, tube televisions. These are different tubes than the radio tubes that I talked about earlier. But the cathode ray tube was what was the basis for most TVs back in the 60s and 70s. Those suckers are heavy. A big TV for us back in those days was 21 inches. That was a big TV. Now you could have your portable TV, which would come in at about 15, maybe 19 inches. 19 was big for a portable TV. 15 was a good size portable TV. But then those TVs that were the massive TVs of the day, the biggest TV we got, if I remember the measurements correctly, 23-inch tube. Ooh. 23-inch console TV. When I say console, what that means is it was in a cabinet. Imagine a dresser, but instead of drawers in the middle of it, there was a giant TV tube. And on either side were speakers. The console TV was a concept where... Everything was linked into this one box, the TV tube in the middle, speakers on the side, and if you were really fancy, there was a stereo on top of it. So you could have your entertainment all in one center. Instead of turning on the TV, you could turn on the turntable and put your LP up there. But if you weren't interested in listening to music, then you would turn on the TV. And the same speakers that you got your music out of, that's where your TV sound came from. 
Now, these were not any Bose speakers by any stretch of the imagination. These were your basic tinny factory issue speakers, but there were two of them. So that was awesome for us. We had sound coming out of our TV. It wasn't just a little speaker. It was two little speakers. And of course, as you might expect, a 23-inch TV in a giant dresser is a heavy piece of furniture. Moving it was a process. So once you set that TV somewhere in your living room, that's where it's at. Now, as I got older and moved out of the house, I wanted to get a big TV. We had 23 inches, but on my own, I wanted a big TV. The thing is, the bigger the TV got, the bigger the tube had to get. And as I said, those tubes are not light. The biggest TV I ever owned personally was a 32-inch TV. A 32-inch tube TV. Now, that's 32 inches diagonally. It's not like a flat TV these days. When you look at a flat TV, they're maybe two inches wide. A 32-inch television had to be at least two feet deep. So you needed a shelf that was two feet wide and able to support 100, maybe 150 pounds of television. They were wide, they were heavy, but oh, they were gloriously big. You could see everything on them. And I was so thrilled when I got my first 32-inch TV, which was somewhere in the early 90s. But boy, I was so not thrilled when it came time to move. Oh, God, no. We need three people to move the TV out of the cabinet. Oh, good Lord, help me. I did mention computers at the beginning of the episode. I did want to get back to them before we run out of time here today. As I said, and you can look it up, smartphones are more powerful than the computers that landed the lunar module on the moon. It's amazing the technology that has changed in my lifetime. The Apollo guidance computer had a 64 kilobyte memory. It operated at 0.043 megahertz. That's not a misstatement. 0.043 megahertz. Go look at the specs for your computer. Go, go look at the specs for your phone. That's in 40 years, 50 years. That's how much that technology has changed. The first computer that we had was significantly faster than the computers that landed man on the moon. And it was nothing compared to what's out there today. One of the first computers that we had was a Commodore 64. And I learned some programming language because I wanted to learn to program games. That was one of the first things that I thought of doing was programming games. I thought it would be cool. So I learned how to make pixel figures, pixel images. And the first image that I ever learned to make on the computer was a replica of the Starship Enterprise. Because Star Trek. Now, was it any good? Well, by 1980s standards, I thought it was pretty good. And I wrote a program that would make it fly across the screen. So I was thrilled to be able to write a little program to make my little pixel of the Starship Enterprise shoot across the screen. Looking back, I probably should have stayed with that career. <laughs> I probably should have stayed with that. It might have been a more interesting career than what I'm doing now. But, you know, things happen. We make our choices. We take our chances. But it was one of those things that I was always interested in. Was the computers? Was the technology? Was how things were growing and changing? If something comes out, I want to try it. Because I've seen so much change in my life and everything new that comes out I want to see where we're going. There is so much to talk about as far as technological changes. I mean, I didn't even have time to talk about the laser discs 
or how LPs transitioned to CDs, and how all of the CDs in the 80s and the 90s that they sold us on are now passe and taking up space in garbage dumps and landfills, because now all of our music is in our pocket. I have two shelves of LPs down in the basement, another two shelves of CDs, and I don't need any of it because it all fits on my phone. It's amazing what I've experienced, and it's even more amazing what I'm looking forward to experiencing in the future, including more episodes of the podcast. I love doing this podcast. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I never would have thought that I could do something like this. Now I get to do it every week, and I want to thank you for listening to it. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for your support. I really do appreciate it. I can't thank you enough. Until next time, you take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.